This is Michelle Bentham, host of the Blooming Inspired Podcast. And yesterday, um, my husband stayed home from work. He was not feeling well. We had to take him to the doctor. He had to get some tests done. So I didn't get my podcast up yesterday, and I do apologize for that. And I have finally come over the hump of my feeling bad, and I'm starting to improve. So I'm grateful for that as well. Today, I want to read some of Luke chapter 12 and just kind of dig into this. Um, in the, it says, in the meantime, when an, enumerate, an innumerable number, multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him, God, who after he has killed has power to cast you into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before the Lord? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear, therefore, you are more valuable than any more any, than many sparrows. And also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about what, how or what you should answer or what you would say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to them, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not cons consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. And it goes on, and he, and he speaks to a rich He speaks of the parable of the ground of a certain rich man, which yielded plentiful harvest. So much so that he could not store his crops. And, um, but I want to come back um, to where he says, And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And I just want to, I want to say something about hypocrisy, and I want to say something about the fact that what's hidden in our hearts um, will be revealed. And Jesus exemplified this with the Pharisees as he walked on earth. And so before I get into the message prayer, I just want to pray. 
Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth that sets us free. We thank you for Jesus who lived as a perfect example for us and that you call us up through convicting us of his righteousness. And I pray, God, that your words would be life and they would be truth today and that you would give me words to speak powerfully as we walk this out in Jesus' name. And so... Um, So in verse 8, well, <clears throat> in verse 7 it says, The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, for you are more valuable than many sparrows. And God keeps a record. He doesn't forget even one of the sparrows that he created. So how much more does he remember you? That should be an encouragement to you. And, he's, and it says, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, Jesus, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. And you know, I know there's a lot of scholarly opinion on this, but I'm just going to tell you what's in my heart today about this. I think we should be very careful on judging people's responses to the Holy Spirit. Um, I know very sincere people who have significant responses when the Holy Spirit comes to them. And, and these responses are not negative. They're not dangerous. They're not hurtful. They just physically feel and sense and experience things, and they cannot not react to them. And so I have some of that. Like I have I have shaking that happens in my legs when the power comes on me. Um, and I and I feel kind of a surge of power that goes through my body. And I felt heat in my body before. I've turned flesh red before. And I experience an unnatural joy. And sometimes I feel an unnatural love. And, and when I say unnatural, I mean it's supernatural. It's, it's beyond the circumstance that I'm in. When I felt the love, it's been like if somebody had um, gushed love all over me, and then that uh, love just kept flooding out of me toward other people. I just felt love in a deep and profound way. And I felt joy in the same way. And sometimes that joy comes out with some laughter. And some that, that joy sits quietly in peace and just is very satisfied in God. Most often these things come to me during worship, while I'm worshiping the Lord. And, um, and so I, I want to step into this a little bit because if we flip over and remember Luke wrote his gospel and he wrote the book of Acts. And let's flip over to Acts and read about some of the things that happened to the early church as they were overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. And so it says, When the day of Pentecost in chapter 2 had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, the first experience that I ever had where I knew, I know that I know that I know 
that the Holy Spirit of the Lord came on me with power and filled me with his power was a day back in 2000, 2000, yeah, March 2000, 2000, it was actually 2001, and I was doing a Bible study, and, and the admonishment was that we would go outside, and we would walk in nature, and we would observe God in nature, and so as I walked, I prayed, I said, Lord, I really want to see you today. Would you show me where you are? And you know, I, I, I had a sense that God was with me all the time, but I really wanted to, to understand and see where he was in nature that day. And so I just began to pray that. And as I did, I walked down in this creek where I played as a child behind my parents' house. And there is, the creek is, is you know, it's not very wide. It's probably three or four inches wide. And it doesn't typically have a lot of water in it. Um, it only has a lot of water when it rains. And it had, it had been wet um, recently and so there's a little bit of water and that water gathers in this little limestone pool where I used to catch tadpoles when I was a little girl and so I got to that pool and I just marveled at how when I was a child everything so seemed so big but as an adult everything seemed so much smaller and it didn't seem like this vast adventure that I had been on before but it just seemed like just another place you know it had lost its wonder a bit. And so um, this little creek runs down to a sandy red clay loam kind of that, that sits right in front of the mouth of Lake Granberry that opens up into this cove. And there's only a small portion of my father's property that is on the lake there. And so... Um, so I walked out on that, that muddy, sandy loam that was all wet, and I began to pray, Lord, if you're here, I want to see, I want to have a sense of where you are right now. And again, I said it was March, right? And, and it's unusual in March for there not to be any wind at all, but there was not any wind that day. And suddenly... I heard this sound, and the only way I can describe it is like I heard the sound of the wind start at the mouth of the cove, which was um, around a bend, and I heard this wind come around that bend, and when it hit me, it knocked me to my knees. I mean, it was, there was, it was a force, and, um, and when it did, I felt like I saw the sun get a thousand times brighter. It just, it just overwhelmed me, and this warmth came over my entire body. And it was March, so it was not a warm day. It was kind of a cool day, and I was kneeling on wet ground, and there was a heavy wind blowing over me, and I was warm. And then joy. I just began to laugh. And this is before I knew that there was a baptism in the Holy Spirit, that there could, that you could be baptized in the Holy Spirit. This was before that. And so, as I'm, I'm kneeling there, I was just overwhelmed with the, the, the knowledge that God was with me. And that He had shown up for me that day. And so, 
I had an experience with the mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now I've had this happen to me as well. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in, their own, in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what Joel has spoken of by the prophet. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all fish, that flesh, that your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servant and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth below and blood and fire and vapor and smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so when I think about this, the leader didn't question what was happening to the people. He was addressing the concerns of those who were not experiencing the same thing, who were accusing them of being drunk. And I've been in settings where someone has accused me of being drunk. And I'm not saying that we don't need to test the spirits and hold fast to what is good. I feel like Paul's admonishment in Thessalonians to saying, test everything and hold fast to what is good. And in 1 John, where the, the, the Apostle John writes for us to test the spirits, I believe those are valid. Um, those are valid admonishments and I believe we do need to test the spirit and we do need to test the fruit of the spirit but when the fruit of the spirit lines up with the the manifestations that we're claiming that are the spirit when this when it produces in us the character and the nature of God or the works of Jesus as Mark 16 says we will do greater works than even Jesus did because we believed in him it says even those who have seen and not and yet have believed, those who have seen, not seen, and yet have believed, will do even greater works than, than the disciples and Jesus did. And it says that, that they will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, that they'll cast out demons, that, that they'll raise the dead. And, and 
perform signs and wonders and miracles. And the power for that doesn't come through us. It was Jesus' admonishment at the end at the, at the end of the book of Luke or the beginning chapters of the book of Acts for them not to go and make disciples until the power of the Holy Spirit had come upon them. And so we need to be careful about how we measure what we see. If we only measure it by our own understanding and our own experience, then we will call everything a demon. We will call everything wrong because we're judging it and we were not created to live by the judgment of the knowledge of good and evil. We were created to live by the power of the Holy Spirit resident in us, filling us to the full so that what comes out of us is in agreement with his nature and his character and produces the fruit of living in him, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it should also produce the righteousness of Christ, conviction toward that righteousness and the righteous living that comes through sanctification. And so I just want to acknowledge that we have to be careful what we do. And then on the flip side of that, we have to be careful about attributing things that we believe are the Holy, like, let me back up. We need to be careful about attributing things that we do to the Holy Spirit if they didn't come from him. So Ananias and Sapphira here in Acts is, is a perfect example of that. They felt like the Lord had told them to go and sell all their goods and give all the money to the poor. So they went and sold all their goods and gave some of their money to the poor. And then they bragged about it to other people. And because they lied about what they had given and didn't honor what the Holy Spirit had compelled them to do, their lives ended immediately. Like, this is not playing around. And I may enjoy some of that manifestation of the Holy Spirit, but I also know that, when, that there are times when grieving, the heart of God is grieving over something, and you can go into travail with Him through the Spirit, and you can experience His heart for something, and He gives you a passion for that thing that He's grieving over. And so it's not always a pleasant thing, but it's always a purposeful thing. There's a purpose in it. We, like we don't just do that stuff like it's a thrill ride at Six Flags or Disney World. Those things happen to empower us to reach out and minister to other people. And so I need to be very careful that I don't make it about me. Like if I'm in an atmosphere where there's freedom to engage at that level, I'm going to fully open myself to engage in that level. If there, there's permission from the leaders to, to, to encounter the presence of God and respond to it, then I'm going to do it. But if I'm in a church where nobody knows about praying in tongues, nobody knows about the gifts of the Spirit, nobody knows that those things are still available to you today, or that they may manifest as joy and peace and love and patience and kindness, in a physical way, I'm not likely to react to the atmosphere. But if I'm given permission to, if I'm told this is a place that, that is not of judgment, 
then I'm going to engage it at the level that God brings it to me. And so sometimes in worship, I'll feel it. And, and most often I will feel it start in my legs. And my legs will begin to shake. And, you know, I can dance small steps in my shaking legs and be okay. But I'm going to ask God to give me self-control and the other things if I know that I might be offensive to someone else. You know, Paul wrote in Corinthians that all things are permissible for me, but not all things are beneficial. And so I don't need to be acting out just to demonstrate that I have the Holy Spirit on me and someone else doesn't. I need to, to allow those things to be appointments with God that demonstrate his love and not out of fear of man, but out of being winsome towards them. So let's go on, because this is really the heart of what I wanted to bring to you. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And so what Jesus is saying here is that there are going to be times when you're questioned by people in leadership at your church or in your community of believers, and they're going to ask you questions that you may not know answers to. But he says, don't worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour, or in some translations, that very moment, what you ought to say. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a student. I, I love the Word of God. I love to dig deep in it. I love to do word study. I love to do other people's Bible studies. I love the Word of God. And so I'm always digging around in it and preparing and stuff. And so in the last year, I began teaching a Bible study. Actually, it's not been the last year. In the last five years, what God had me do was set aside my year to study the Gospels. And in 2013, he called me to begin reading in the Gospels, and he gave me this instruction, and I just, I heard it in my mind. It's not like an audible voice or God was sitting there talking to me, but I just heard it in my mind with the ears of my heart. I just felt like he said, I want you to read the Gospels like you've never been taught anything about Jesus, like you didn't know anything about him before, and I want you to decide what it is you would believe if this is all you had to read. What would you believe me for? What? How would you live differently if this is all you knew about Jesus? And so I set out to read it, and I would read almost every day, and I read, it took me a full year to read Matthew because I would read it over and over again, and, and my Bible from that season is just Every scripture is underlined in the book of Matthew and, and notes are written all over the page because of the deep, rich things that God revealed to me as I took his hand and walked through the pages of scripture with Jesus. So then the next year I did Mark and again a whole year, every scripture underlined, notes written in the margins all over the page. Then I went to Luke Again, every scripture underlined. It took a year to read through it. And then I went to John. 
And last year I began reading Acts and I didn't quite get fully through it because in October I began going through Matthew again with a group of ladies and I call that Bible study the Gospels verse by verse. And when I began that Bible study, the first two or three weeks, I would prepare that whole week for that Bible study lesson on Saturday. I'd start mon Sunday or Monday and begin reading and pulling notes out of my Bible, and then I would type up these really elaborate notes. And not and I and I and rem, I mind you, I'm not speaking against preparation. I think it's valuable. But here's what God knows about me: is that the more work I put into it, the more credit I take for myself. And He wanted me to take none of the glory. And so, about the the fourth week, I sat down to prepare and I didn't have I just I couldn't get into it and finally God said will you trust me to give you the words to speak now mind you I had read Matthew I mean Luke chapter 12 when I read through the Gospels that in in 2015 and so um, and I mean I would have I was on vacation with my parents and I would read in the car while we were driving and I would just be like, oh, wow, listen to this. And I would just be sharing this fresh information coming right off my lips. And, and so God said, will you trust me to give you the revelation of my word as you read it with your ladies? And I said, yes. So then the allowance became, I read the chapter to prepare the morning of the Bible study. So I'd get up early. I would type up notes around the scripture headings and things like that. I would come up with a theme and I would review the last week's Bible study. And I would just put a few highlighted notes from my reading in there. And then I would allow the Bible study and the conversation with the ladies at the table to develop organically around what we were reading. And I truly had to trust the Holy Spirit to teach me what I should say and I began to trust him completely with every part of that Bible study and so here's the thing that I come to is one based on what we read today in Luke and Acts sometimes Christianity is messy and it and it looks like out of control crazy and you know, right now, what's popping into my mind is, is the story I've been telling to my art students at the gallery about Vincent Van Gogh. Because I, I, have, I have been enthralled by his paintings ever since I was old enough to know what art was. And I just love the, the use of color and the, the elements that are so hard to imitate in his paintings, the intensity of the brushstroke and the, the way he uses color. But if you study the life of Vincent van Gogh, he only lived 37 years. He only lived 37 years. And he grew up in a relatively, you know, it was an upper middle class kind of upbringing in, in a Dutch family. And he was born in uh, the mid 1800s and and you know the Lord did a great work in his life the Lord um, 
I believe the Lord created him to demonstrate God's glory through painting. But Vincent didn't believe that. Vincent believed he was a failure because he was so unorthodox. Um, and I want to read what this word means because I haven't had a chance to look it up. But he was a member of a group of artists in Paris called the Avant-Garde. And that word means new and unusual or experimental ideas, especially in the arts, for the people introducing them. Favoring and introducing experimental or unusual ideas. So he was a member of this artist group called the Avant-Garde in Paris, and he was friends with some of the artists in that movement. And he was, he was even though his paintings were detailed and specific, a lot of what he did was not considered Impressionist, but it was something between Impressionism and Realism called Post-Impressionism. And so before he was an artist, he was an art dealer, and he traveled around selling art, and he got stationed in London and was unhappy there. So he went on to become a missionary to the nation of Belgium. And apparently preaching the gospel and, and doing that ministry was also not satisfying. So when he was around 27 years old, he began to paint and do artwork. And during the next 10 years of his life, he did 2,100 pieces of art. 2,100 pieces of art. And over 800 pieces were oil paintings. And um, this is when they had to grind up their colors. And, you know, like it, it wasn't the the high-tech process that we have today but he was having to figure out how to make these colors he saw in nature and make them pop off the page at you and so recently scientists have been been looking at his paintings and they have discovered that Vincent van Gogh could see something and had a way of seeing that allowed him to see what is not seen. Because they said those, those brush strokes in the sky that look like the wind blowing, and, and in that starry night picture, you know, you see it, and it's that wispy swirling all around the stars and in the night sky. And they said he had an understanding and a way of seeing things that are not seen. Because he was actually painting turbulence. And they've taken and figured out a way to measure what, what, what that turbulence would look like in those paintings. And they feel that it is very consistent with what they know turbulence to be. And he was considered to be a tortured artist. He was extremely troubled. He was in and out of mental hospitals. He once went into a psychotic frenzy and cut off his own ear. Um... And at 37, he put a gun to his chest and killed himself. And I think about, we, we live in a society right now where people are being tormented to the point that they're killing themselves and they're not just kids who are being bullied, but it's famous, successful people, celebrities. And I go back to Vincent Van Gogh's story. Because today, Vincent 
in his lifetime he sold one painting and he was he lived in poverty at on the at the at the will at the goodwill of other people so to speak his brother Theo mostly supported him and he would write to Theo these elaborate letters about his artwork but he only sold one painting in his lifetime but upon it after he died his work became very valuable and today he is considered one of the most influential and progressive artists in Western culture. Like he was so way ahead of his time. And he's often duped, imitated. Often imitated. And um, today we, we, we study his art and as artists we want to be, we want to capture that kind of passion and that kind of intensity in our own work. And it, and it draws and it begs the question out of me, what if he had known who he was in Christ? If he had known his value before God? What if the people around him didn't see all the quirkiness and the unusual and the experimental nature of what he did, the inventive way that he did things? What if, if, people looked at his artwork and saw the genius in it when he was alive rather than seeing it as something other than amazing. What if they called the life out of him as an innovator, as an original, as a pioneer and progressive, as groundbreaking and revolutionary? What if those words were used to describe Vincent van Gogh during his lifetime? What if he was celebrated rather than shunned as a failure and a madman? I'm not quite sure how I got here. But I'm saying that sometimes the gift of God doesn't look the way we think it should. I think that's what I'm saying. It doesn't look natural to our human eyes. It says in 1 Corinthians that he uses the foolish things of the kingdom of God. The wisdom of the kingdom of God is foolishness to those who are perishing. Sometimes what God requires of us looks foolish to the outside world and we will be ridiculed and we will be demeaned for it. But we have a choice in that moment to obedient to who we are, which is children of the Most High God, and do what we're called to do, or, or fall to the fear of man. I want to live in such a way that I stand on the promises of God, and I do not fall to fear of man. I want to trust that the Holy Spirit will give me what I need when I need it. And that means that I have to live in this continually connected relationship with God where He is pouring into me and I am pouring Him out to other people. And Jesus, make no mistake about it, Jesus didn't say, go, as we read in Matthew, 
and end the sentence with go and make disciples. He ended the sentence with, before you go, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you with power. Now these were men who believed. These are men who, when he sent out the 72, Jesus breathed on them and gave him his spirit. Gave them his spirit. They are already empowered to do the works of ministry in the gospel. So why did they need to wait to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I think it was a test of obedience. Are you going to be obedient to what I tell you to do? Are you going to go out there and try to do it in your own strength? I want to be utterly dependent on God and fully enraptured by who He is so that who I am becomes the most effective person towards the ministry of the gospel of Jesus and the equipping of the saints towards that same ministry. And you can believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit or you can call it the filling of the Holy Spirit and believe you get it at salvation. But I believe if we, if we really study the book of Acts, we see that there are two separate experiences. This baptism where we get the sealing work of the Holy Spirit in our life, where we get completely infilled with Him, um, where He comes to reside inside of us to bring conviction to us and call us up to righteousness. And then we see this baptism in power. And sometimes people were baptized for, their, for the remission of sins in water baptism. And sometimes they were baptized in the Holy Spirit first and, some, and baptized in water later. But the consistent thing was they were all saved first and then the baptism came. And it came either after they confessed Christ immediately Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have had to ask the eunuch on the side of the road, which baptism did you receive? He wouldn't have had to ask the people that he encountered in his missionary journeys, which baptism did you receive? So today, I just want to encourage you. If we fear the Lord God, and we believe every that, that the word of God is inerrant, that scripture, these scriptures that we read and rely on to teach us about the character, the nature, and the will of God are inerrant, then we can't pick and choose which parts we believe are true for us today. It's a living word. It's applicable to us. And what if we had never been taught that, this, that these things were not available to us today? You see, we are meant to live by faith. But I think that faith produces the works of righteousness, and the works of righteousness produce the works of Christ in our life. And if that's true, then he is getting shortchanged. Because he paid for healing, and he paid for the dead to be raised, and he paid for demons to be cast out, and he paid for the curse to be completely settled at the cross. And yet we're still quibbling over whether or not women are empowered to do ministry, whether or not people are forgiven for their sins, whether or not people are filled with the Holy Spirit and how that shows up. You know, I've been in the room where demons were cast out and I've seen demonic activity. I've seen the unsettling nature of that. 
and I would like to believe that the Holy Spirit will reveal through discernment to me the difference between when he is acting and when God is acting. And I don't need somebody to tell me whether or not what I'm going through is good or not. I don't know. And I've had God kind of smack me in the head and say, I didn't ask you to do that. I didn't ask you to do that. I don't require you to do that. And other times he says, are you going to be uninhibited before me? Yes, Lord. I want my answer to be yes, Lord. So as we close out today, I just want to pray that you would become more and more aware as you learn to discern the spirits that are operating around you, that you would become more and more in tune and, and, and baptized and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in such a way that you are a change agent in the community around you. So Lord, we just ask that right now. We ask you to make us agents of change in our communities and with the people around us and that you would make us vessels of honor. That we would know when you're calling us to be free in our demonstration of who you are in us. And when you're calling us to be reserved and self-controlled because it would be offensive to others. And I pray, God, that your will would be accomplished in all of that. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, um, after my husband goes to the doctor, I'm coming home to write up my agreement for prospective podcast show hosts here on the Blooming Inspired Network and to send out the information to the people that I've spoken to. I am so apologetic to have been so far behind, but I'm so excited about what the future holds and I'm ready to begin to demonstrate that to other people. Um, <clears throat> I believe the enemy has been trying to keep me down and bind me with fatigue and I would love and appreciate prayers um, for my health and for the protection of my health and the protection of my husband's health and that, that, that God would protect everything concerns us and allow us to prosper as our soul prospers because we have just been under the, the under physical attack in our bodies um, for the last few weeks and so um, we're coming out of that, and I believe by God's grace and His mercy that He is going to heal us and that He is going to provide everything that we need to move forward. And so um, so I just honor His work in our lives, and I just ask you to pray for us. Pray for us. Um, I know the enemy would like nothing more than to shut down what's happening here, but we are not going to let him do that. And so with that said, I'm going to close out the show today by reminding you, as I always do, that blooming where you're planted is the first step to living your wildest dreams. And as a life coach, as a personal coach, um, I believe that when our experiences and our actions come from who we are, that we learn how to live the fullest life that's available to us, the abundant life that Jesus promised us. So I want to encourage you, get out there, let your roots go deep, Bloom where you're planted and grow and be prepared so that when God plucks you up and puts you somewhere else, that you can be who he's fully called you to be. We're Blooming Inspired Network. 
we are um, all about women's leadership um, and development of women in leadership. And so if you are a woman called to lead and you'd like to know more about that, visit bloominginspirednetwork.com. I've been working on the website. I've been getting it updated. We're going to be putting out more resources there on a regular basis. And you can connect to our, our Gospels verse-by-verse -verse study of Matthew videos there and begin to discover what we're all about. We will be starting Bible study in the book of Mark in October. And between now and then, I'm going to be doing some things on Facebook Live. And so at Facebook Live, it's facebook.com forward slash Blooming Inspired or at Blooming Inspired on facebook.com. We would love to connect with you. Be sure to like the page, comment on the post, let us know you're listening. We do have a group called Wildflower Women. And as I wrap up getting things launched for the radio uh, or the podcasting um, women, then I'm going to be visiting Wildflower Women and talking to them about what's next for them. So I would love for you to connect and get involved and be praying about those things. And I would love to hear from you. You can email me at michelle.bentham at bloominginspirednetwork.com or you can visit our website on the Let's Connect page. There's a form there that you can fill out that'll shoot an email directly to me and we will get back in touch with you as soon as possible. Thank you so much for tuning in with us this week, and I look forward to being back on with you on Monday. Until then, just remember, blooming where your plan is the first step to living your wildest dreams.